0: Eduardo Batia proposes a new constitution for Puerto Rico, while Acevedo Vila unveils his party strategy to derail the statehood possibilities for the island. In US news, the democratic debate is a blip show, while the primaries now move to Nevada and South Carolina. All this and much more. I'm Van González and this is Inside the Colony. We are approaching the primaries and the general elections uh, in Puerto Rico, and we all know that the closer we get to uh, these events, the craziest it gets for everybody here. Uh, We will see all candidates proposing pretty much the impossible. Well, it's that time of the year, and Eduardo Batia knows it. I mean, pretty much after months of uh, not showing up, to the point that no media was covering covering him in, in any way, he makes his campaign appearance by... Pretty much proposing one of the most incoherent and yet very populist idea, a new constitution. Now, apparently, he's not very fond of the current constitution, which, which you know, is the creation of his own party in nineteen fifty, and there was approved in nineteen fifty-two. So apparently, he's not very happy with it. So. All the PPD voters, uh, you know, uh, take notice of it and, and write it down. It, uh, Eduardo Batia it, it believes that the current constitution is undemocratic, or at least it's not democratic enough. He uh, he says that <laughs> this is this is this is funny. He says that it is to make our democracy more democratic. For you know, he's calling out for the democratisation of democracy. Now, how exactly you you? make a democracy more democratic well um it's all very a populist idea he's talking about participative democracy pretty much that's what he's talking about in reality now there's a concept of participative democracy here but um i will get back to that in, in a second um what i want you to hear is uh you know here is eduardo Batti actually uh, talking about this idea now let me uh, he's he's before going to the eduardo body audio uh he's proposing pretty much uh uh, three points, three key points for, uh, you know, to amend the current constitution and then make a new constitution, right? So uh, one of the points is to have a second round of voting. Um, th- that it, that pretty much means that in the past few election years, there have been numerous parties that have uh, emanated from the fact that pretty much everybody is... Um, uh, you know the current the, the, the traditional parties in Puerto Rico are are seen as 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 that you know people have to move out of out of their ways and people have to move from those parties to to create new parties and and and, and change the politics in Puerto Rico. So, so there have been new political parties emerging every now and then. Some last one election, some last more than one election. So what he's proposing is because. Obviously, all these parties go into an election together. The what has been happening is that the uh, that the party that wins the say the governor's seat or or the candidate that wins the governor's seat doesn't win by majority of the votes pretty much wins by 45, 43, 42%, uh, 48%. So, because obviously all the votes are being diluted into all these parties, because there's not just three parties or two parties or two main parties, like, you know, it was, you know, 20 years ago, uh, pretty much there's like four, five, six party lines and and, and independent candidates running uh, and all that. So, obviously the votes get diluted into all these parties, one emerges victorious with the one that emerges victorious does not have the fifty percent. So he is pretty much saying, okay, let's do a second round of voting. So meaning that the whatever two parties that got the most votes are gonna now go into a second round of elections. Well that has its problems, so I'm gonna get back to that later. The so second Point is um, that he's been trying to get, uh, and this is I can favor this. I, I, I don't see a problem with this. It's the creation of a of a lieutenant governor in Puerto Rico. This makes sense for me. Um, not sure, um, you know. Uh, I mean, a lieutenant governor is not it's not a bad thing for me. Uh, I can go with this. Uh, the third one is the requirement to so that spending uh, new, the creation of new spending or the creation of new debt um, by the government. Uh, institutions need to be voted out uh, by the people you know the people have to be consulted and people have to vote so this is what he's proposing but uh you know these are the three main points now let me let me just put the audio for um a lot about basically proposing this new democratizations of the democracy of puerto rico here's eduardo Batia
1: hemos aprendido algo la gente hoy está desencantada con la política desencantado con los partidos todo el mundo y yo lo que quisiera es buscar la forma de democratizar la democracia de buscar la forma de la democracia de puerto rico está enferma
0: so there you had eduardo batia basically admitting that he wanted to or he wants to uh create a more democratic democracy and that the uh Democracy in Puerto Rico is, is, is sick. That's what he's saying at the end. He said that the, the, the democracy in Puerto Rico is sick. Well, <laughs> um, again, he's talking about participative democracy. Um, uh, let, let this let's hear, let's continue hearing hearing uh, Eduardo Vatia making his um, you know his amazing uh, proposal for a new constitution.
1: Por ejemplo, si se va a coger préstamos en Puerto Rico en el futuro, los préstamos grandes, tiene que votar el pueblo para poder hacer una ley si los partidos no la quieren aprobar, que se vaya a hacer una consulta del pueblo, se hacen bastantes estados en Estados Unidos.
0: So in here, Eduardo Batie is pretty much saying two things. One, that if there's the uh, the possibility of the creation of new debt by the government, that the people need to be consulted, like I said before, uh on whether or not the government should incur a new debt. Uh, And second is the basically the the idea that if there's a new law that the legislative branch is trying to pass and it does not pass for whatever reason, well, that the um, proposed new law is basically consulted to the people on whether or not they want the law to be enacted uh, and to be passed by the legislative branch. Um, Those are the two things that he's pretty much saying right there. Let's now continue hearing Eduardo Batia.
1: La segunda vuelta. Eh, buscar la manera de que si nadie logra 50% se vaya a una segunda vuelta. Eso pasa en Louisiana ya.
0: So again, there was Eduardo Batia uh, explaining his concept of the um second round voting, which pretty much just means that if there's like five parties playing uh going to an election, that the what who, who, you know the two parties that have the most votes in that first round are going to go into a second round of voting to make sure you know that uh, whoever gets uh, uh whoever wins the election uh, wins with 50% or more of the votes in in the election now obviously he's bringing this to the table because the popular democratic party which 30 years ago 40 years ago was the Strongest electoral force in Puerto Rico is no longer the 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 strongest electoral force, and for the past twenty or twenty five years, they or thirty years perhaps, they have been trying to get um, the independence, the pro independence faction, into voting uh, for them you know, the voters that are pro-independence to vote for the popular democratic candidates in order to try to beat the new progressive party candidates. This has been happening, you know, since 25, 30 years ago. This this is how, this is how the, 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 the popular democratic party has been infiltrated again by, uh, people that advocate for the Puerto Rico independence from the United States, for the separation, for the, for the autonomy of the Puerto Rico, aside from being part of the United States. This is how. This is the reason why that party has been uh, pretty much being eaten by the by this movement. And they know that they can't beat the new progressive party unless they try to rally up the votes of everybody else so the reason for him to propose this is because obviously in a, in a, in a, in a campaign where you have more than the main two parties competing for a seat it is very unlikely that the popular democrat party beats the new progressive party because the new progressive party is the biggest party it has the biggest uh has the biggest amount of voters and the biggest base um, so the only way that you could beat out the new progressive party is by changing the constitution and, and saying, okay, well, now we're going to go into a second round. Well, you beat me the first round. Fine. You got more votes in the first round, but now we're going to go in the second round. What am I going to do in the second round? Well, I'm going to call for every sector in Puerto Rico to actually join me. Pretty much like Darth Vader. Join me and together. Well, pretty much that. Join me and together we will be the new progressive party. And that's how, that's what he's pretty much proposing right here. Great idea, great idea. Instead of um, you know, um, instead of working for democracy, you're just pushing your agenda to try to be the new progressive party, so that the new progressive party could never win again. Thank you, great, great job, Batia, great job. Now here here's the section of him speaking about the um, uh, participative democracy. Here's here's Eduardo Batia continuing his incredible speech about um, this new constitution.
1: Mira, yo, yo creo que de lo que Puerto Rico no está listo y nunca va a estar listo hoy es de que los partidos políticos le impongan a la gente cosas que la gente no quiere. Si queremos un Puerto Rico democrático, el ciudadano tiene que participar mucho más, pero el ciudadano está frustrado porque entiende que dentro del Capitolio se toman las decisiones y se acabó. Y yo lo que quisiera es abrir el espacio, tener una democracia participativa de verdad, no sólo deciéndolo como un slogan, es realmente poniéndolo a la voluntad del pueblo si vamos a coger un préstamo en el futuro o si se van a subir las contribuciones que el pueblo vote.
0: Well, there you have it. That was it. All about him saying that he wants a more participatory democracy um, and how he's going to put the, um, how he's going to make it so that. The people are more in control of their government institutions, and and you know he he's, he was given an example there about uh, new taxes. There's a new uh, uh, proposal for tax imposition in Puerto Rico that the people should be consulted on whether or not they want such a tax. Well, you're you're just you are you are putting into the into the hands of people the running of a government into institution. Is that what you're saying? You're you're putting into the man into the hands of lay persons the running of a government where this is the people that actually made a march in favor of the sales and use tax back in 2006. This is the people. I mean, the lay persons in Puerto Rico marched in favor of a new tax imposition. This is who you are wanting to run the government because that's what you're proposing, Eduardo Batia. That's what you're proposing. I mean, the whole point of having a representative democracy is the fact that the people through their votes, elect representatives into the government that are the representation of the people that voted. That's why they're called the representatives. That's why people vote for their governors or their House of Representatives members or their senators, right? These are people that are put there and are given power by the people through their direct vote in our case, right? The people directly vote for all these people, for all these electoral um, uh, positions right we don't have the we don't have the electoral college here we do a direct vote so these are this this government officials are at the end of the day the direct representatives of the people who just voted into an election how more democratic can you be so now you're saying, no, wait! I don't want just that. I don't want people to actually vote for their representatives in the in the legislative branch or in the um, uh, executive branch. No, on top of that, I want people to have direct control. So why are we electing representatives in the first place? In the first place? That makes no sense. But this is what he's proposing. This is this is a great, Eduardo Batia proposing that he wants people to take control of the government. Now, participative democracy. Participative democracy is, emphasizes the broad participation of constituents in the direction and operation of political systems. It involves more lay citizen participation in decision making and offers greater political representation than traditional representative democracy. In, in other words, wider control of proxies given to representatives by those who get directly involved and actually participate. That's the definition of participative democracy. It is, in other words, and and I and I already did this in another episode, but I already talked about this uh, concept. But this is the 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 government of the masses. This is where the mass the masses control the government, the laypersons. And now, instead of having elected officials making the decisions for their constituents, now you just have government officials that can't do nothing or that pretty much are lame dogs because they they don't have the ultimate decision power. Now you're, you you just have people there working for you and you being consulted on whether you want something or not. This is going to make the process much more inefficient. I mean, you're going to have a lot of waste of money. These are the people that actually, by the way, these are the people that every time there's a new statehood or um, status referendum, they the first thing they actually say is oh wait you are actually proposing a new referendum that's going to cost more money because now you have a new election or a new ballot or whatever and that costs money where is the money going to coming from coming from i mean where is it going to be coming from well well now I ask you about it. Where's the money going to be coming from? Every time you're going to have to consult your people, your, your the mass. How you, how many times are you going to have to consult people in, in, in a four-year term? It's not going to be consulted once, not twice, not three times. It's going to be consulted many, many times. You think that's going to be efficient? First of all, the answer is no. Second, you know the cost of that? Every time you're going to consult somebody, you're going to make an election. The ballots, the educational process... The people there, the the, the 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 people working at the polling stations. How much is that going to cost? Oh, well, you have no idea because you just you're just talking BS. That's what you're talking about. You're just pretty much bringing or talking about a very populist idea. That's all you're doing. But at the end of the day, that does not work. You're creating more bureaucracy. You're creating more steps. You're creating more inefficiency in the process and you are creating a more expensive process along the road just for the government to actually operate. So you're saying this is this is this is what you're saying. Let's 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 break this down and, and go into a more let's explain it into a more simple concept so that people can understand. If you have a board of directors, right, the board directors are let's say they are elected by the um the in a company right In a in a, in a private company they're elected by the stockholders right and this and the board directors there's this, this let's think about this corporation that has you know that is a public corporation has stocks on the market and all that and then there's thousands of people that have you know their own stock for this company thousands of people and obviously, you're going to have a group of people that are going to be owning the majority of the stocks, of course, it's going to happen, of course, the wealthy and, and all that, right? People that can actually, you know, invest in these stocks, right? In, in, a, in, a, in a whole bunch of, of stocks. Okay, so what he's bringing to the table is this, is this the, that the stock owners that are the ultimate People that vote for their representatives in the board of directors, those 5, 10, 12, 20 persons, 25 persons, 30 persons that are going to be in a board of directors to represent their interest, the interest of the thousands and thousands of people that own stock of this company. What yours, and that that those people, those representatives are the ones that are going to take, you know, The final say on the most important matters of the company. They're not going to be running the day-to-day business of the company. The board directors are. They're not going to be doing that. But they're going to be running, you know, they're going to be doing the oversight, right? And they're going to be making the most important and the most crucial decisions. They're going to be appointing the president of the company. They're going to be overseeing the president's decisions or the the day-to-day decisions that he has to do, right? This is how it runs, to make the process simpler and efficient. And so that the thousands and thousands of stockbrokers, they don't have to go in and dive in in, and stick their nose on the day-to-day operations of a company because obviously they're doing their own stuff. They're minding their own business. They have things to attend to. They have problems on their own that they have to solve. So they can't be here working solving their own problems their, their their day-to-day problems while at the same time they're running the day-to-day operations of the company that's why they elect the board directors and that's and this is why the board directors at the end of the day you know appoint the president of the company right it makes it makes common sense so what you're saying is that you're you're, you're switching you're switching the power of the government from the board directors the duly elected officials, to the stockholders, to the thousands of stockholders. <laughs> For real? This is what you're saying. Now, does it make sense to you? It doesn't make sense to me. It's pretty on paper. Is it's it looks fantastic on paper. But in reality, is complete BS is creating a more inefficient process, and by the way, you're asking laypersons, persons that are not necessarily are experts in a matter, in a subject matter, that that be accounting, that would be uh, engineering, that could be uh, uh, law, whatever subject matter it is, you are putting into the hands of people that are not experts on this, to actually make decisions on this, health officials, public health, Wow. El Batia. Great job, my friend. I mean, seriously, man. Wow. Let's let's now move into the second topic that I wanted to discuss with you, uh, which is the fact that Mr. Aníbal Acevedo Vila is proposing that the status referendum ballots are to be either burned out or are to be... Um, stolen, but first, okay, so now let's move and uh, listen to Acevedo Vila, and there you have it folks, the great Aníbal Acevedo Vila explicitly saying with his mouth that the uh, ballots should be either burned out or it should be stolen, so that the process cannot be in order to sabotage the whole referendum process that is going to be upcoming in the twenty twenty general elections. And um, in fact, just uh, a day ago or two days ago, the project, the Senate Project fourteen sixty seven, which is the um, the project. The proposed law for the um, uh, for the status referendum, uh, was approved on the Senate? So this just happened one or two days ago, uh, and this 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 guy, Aníbal Cerezo all he wants to do is again to block the process. He wants to either block the process. Or to block the results of the process. Now, they, the way they do this is in a two part way. There's a there's another video that I have about how about the lessons learned on the previous plebiscites and referendums that we have uh, had in the past, and I, I, I do take that video in order to talk about um, a little bit more about each of the processes, um, what happened after each process, and and what was learned about it. Uh, and ultimately how the Popular Democratic Party, the pro-independence party, uh, and many other factions around the island uh, have been able to derail and, and have been able to um, postpone the admission of Puerto Rico as a state. And this is yet another example. In here... All he wants to do is a couple of things. He wants to start out by going into the... um, uh, Speaking out to two parties. Speaking out to the people of Puerto Rico first. And speaking out simultaneously, I should say, to Congress and to the White House uh, liaisons and officials over there. um, Saying that the process is... uh, Is is an an illegitimate process. That it is... um, it is a made-up process that does not have the the um, the uh, the legitimacy that it should have, right? So he's gonna try to talk to us and talk to them and say, well, you know what? This process is is complete, you know, BS. It, it should not it should mean nothing at the end. Uh, please do not approve the funding, the two point five. They're gonna come here. They're gonna ask you to to. to to, to approve the 2.5 uh, and they're going to make their case so that the federal government does not approve the $2.5 million because the moment that that happens is the moment that the status referendum is going to get serious. And I'm, I'm telling you, there is, and I, I talked about this in another previous episode, maybe episode two. Um, there is no doubt in my mind, uh either episode one or two, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that if the The referendum has the approval of the federal government and the 2.5 million dollars are assigned and released finally there is no doubt in my mind that that referendum is going to be won by the yes option to statehood basically people saying yes to statehood and that'll mark. A significant change in the um, in the outcome of the of the plebiscite or the referendum, and in the processes that are going to be coming after that, um, it is one thing that you just do um, uh, uh, an an unbinding referendum uh, referendum with no approval of the federal government. That is one thing which is what we have been having ever since 1967. And it is another thing to say, this referendum is approved by the DOJ, okay? And they are okay with it. Definitions are fine, the options are fine, it is consistent with the US constitutions, both definitions and the options, Um, the format of the questioning is, is... is okay with them. This is another t- ball game, and this is why Aníbal Acevedo Vilá and their people and his people are so desperate in derailing once again another referendum or another plebiscite. This is why they know that this could get real serious real soon, the moment funding is approved, it's the moment that statehood gets real. Again, it is one, it is one thing to say that we're going to consult the people on a non-binding referendum or non-binding plebiscite, and it is another to say this referendum, it is approved by the US government, by the Trump administration. You know how good that makes Trump administration with the Hispanic voters? That that alone, if the if the Trump administration manages to approve, or is directed or or the Trump administration directs its DOJ to approve the ballot and to send out the money. You know how great that's gonna look on the Trump administration with the Hispanic voters again? It's gonna look great. I mean Probably is going to be regarded as the administration that's going to that would have, have done more for the um, uh, um, status resolution of Puerto Rico than any other administration. Hell, Obama didn't do anything. Only the only thing they could do was approve the um, the 2.5 million, appropriate the money in Congress, but they have not released it. And 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 to be honest with the situation. Ricardo Rosselló tried, as best as he could, to change, to make the changes necessary that were given the instructions given by the DOJ. And again, I talked about this in in a, in, a, in a previous episode. But he tried, uh, in his best of his abilities, to change and make the changes they were requiring of him in order to secure the funding and the approval of the DOJ. But because of reasons I am not aware of, even him changing and updating and correcting all the things that they asked for, that that approval did not happen. And the plebiscite back then, in 2017, had a low turnout, the lowest turnout plebiscite in our history and it is not a low turnout is bad i mean come on u.s. elections are one with low turnout and i said this before it is not a problem that of the low turnout but definitely it 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 does not help you either so i understand i can i can understand that low turnout is not a, it's not a it's not a, it should not be an impediment of moving the things forward but i can also understand and be realistic about it that it's it, it, it is going to be an impediment Realistically speaking, it is, and it has been. The low turnout is the only reason that we were not able to move statehood even further in Congress, or faster, as we would have expected. But if this new referendum turns out that it has the approval and the blessing of the US government, this changes the whole dynamic. The Trump administration could be seen as the administration that actually did the most in favor of moving the status resolution for Puerto Rico. And it is a Republican administration. And this comes in a time where Michael Bloomberg is campaigning a statehood platform in Puerto Rico. Again, the Democrats are trying. At least this Democrat, because Bernie Sanders is advocating for independence and an autonomy for the U- for Puerto Rico, for Puerto Rico, and so is uh, other candidates on the Democrat side. But the one candidate that is being campaigning right here in Puerto Rico about the statehood platform is Michael Bloomberg, a Democrat. Well, previously a Republican that changed to be a Democrat. It's more of a moderate, actually. I should say. It's, it's not the socialist side of the, of the Democrats. It's more of the moderate side, the center side. So he took statehood and embraced it and made it his own. Made it his own. And he's campaigning on it in Puerto Rico. It is a great opportunity for Trump and the Republicans to actually even out the playing field take charge in the statehood movement and in the status resolution by approving this new consultation, this new referendum, and if they do, it not only helps Puerto Rico move forward, but it also helps the republicans to say, hey, you democrats are not the only ones that are addressing the status referendum, in fact, we just did, by approving this we have been hands-on, not talking about it, not campaigning about it, not making a fuss about it, in the background, we are, we have been hands-on, the status resolution of Puerto Rico, and we just approved this, and we're moving forward with the decision. What a great way to turn over the Trump campaign, and say we have done more for Hispanics than any other administration in the history of the U.S. in recent times. And this is why, again, he wants to derail the system. So his approach is to pretty much say to the voters in Puerto Rico that they don't need to vote. That it is not important. Of course, the only way he manages to do that is if he he makes the other case in Congress so that they don't approve, I mean not Congress, but the DOJ, so that they don't approve the ballot and they don't send the money. If he manages to do that, he can pretty much secure the fact that his message here in Puerto Rico about this being another scam or something that is not important is actually going to work for him. Because He is relying on the DOJ not to approve the money so that he can send the message here and the message can actually, you know, you know, make sense to people here in Puerto Rico that this is another process that is irrelevant and it is not important to vote. Hey, they didn't get the approval down there. Why are you going to waste your time voting for that? You want to waste your time. They are, they're not being truthful to you, statehooders, right? He's going to, he's going to say all that. So his case here depends a lot on the results of his, um, of his efforts on the on the Department of Justice. So he's going to do that simultaneously. His people are going to do that simultaneously, and then even if you know after all that effort, after all those um, efforts that he's been going to be doing from here to the election day. What he's saying is, and then even after that, when they get to the ballot, they're going to decide whether they're what they're going to do, whether they're going to burn the ballot as as in as, a, as in protest of the consultation, or whether they're going to steal the ballot, or going to break the ballot, or whatever they want to do to the ballot. So it, it, it is not sufficient for him to try to derail the status resolution of Puerto Rico, It is it, they have to resort on new tactics that include burning, stealing, breaking, smashing, hitting, spitting, altering, whatever you can think of, this guy just said that they're going to be doing. And let me tell you this is a very legitimate process you have a very straightforward question it is that up or down question on whether you want stated yes or no so i don't see how the process can be seen as obstructive as uh, irrelevant as 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 not really moving uh or defining a status Option. I mean, we are saying to the people, we're asking the people to say, you know what, do you want statehood or do you do not want statehood? I'm not asking for the specific reasons why you want or you do not want, we're asking for the reason, we're just asking for you to say yes or no. If you are on the position that statehood is bad, and that we should not be a state, By any means, all the people that think that way have the ability to go there and vote no. It is very legitimate. In fact, it is for me, in my opinion, it is a very risky move for the statehood movement to actually do a consultation like this because in in the past we have not been able to overcome this type of consultation. And yet... Aníbal Acevedo-Vilá makes a proposal. This guy, <laughs> this guy is crazy. Dude. This guy, this guy is is amazing. I mean, the things that he says, it's amazing. I mean, it is, this, listen to this. He's proposing. He's he's talking to the uh, New Progressive Party elected officials now. He's saying that he wants to. Um, um, uh, challenge he wants to challenge the the officials into canceling the referendum if the department of justice does not approve the ballot and does not send out the money this is he's asking this while at same time he's actually advocating and he's going to be lobbying against this status referendum do you see okay so basically I go there. I lobby against it, and I then tell you and say, you know what? If this is not approved, obviously because I am, I am doing all my efforts. I am doing all in my power to, for it to not be approved. But if it's not approved, after I did all this, after I've been doing all that, if it's not approved, you, you should cancel it out. Really? Well, let's 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 accept the challenge and let's say this other stuff. We cancel it if it's not a proof. But you gotta demonstrate to me. And you gotta that you gotta go with me there and you gotta advocate in favor of the consultation and in favor of the approval of the money. So I will accept your challenge. I will cancel it out if it's not approved. But instead of you, I'm gonna send out a new challenge to you. Instead of you going there and with your lobbying, with, with your, your lobbyists and with all the trade associations when, and with your party and everybody else. Okay, and the English-only movement. Um, instead of you doing that, I'm gonna challenge you to actually go with your people and with my people, and advocate in favor of the consultation. And if after all that, after we all go united, we they yet not approve the ballot, then yes. By all means, cancel that out. But but asking and asking to, to for the New Progressive Party to officials to cancel the referendum if it's not approved. While you're just doing everything in your power for it not to be approved. Again, this is Aníbal Acevedo Vilá, the guy that pretty much pulls everyone's hairs. He's not serious about this. He's never been serious about this. He's just trying to manipulate everybody into what he wants to do, which is to make the status movement look bad for him to get into power. And once he gets into power, then he'll, you know, he'll, he'll do a status assembly, constitutional status assembly, or whatever that means or whatever he wants to do in order to move the status that he wants, which is the autonomy, the independence of Puerto Rico, the Compact of Free Association, forward. Because that is a legitimate process, but not this one. Statehood is not legitimate. And the movement of of statehood forward is not legitimate. But the movement forward of the sovereignty option, of the Compact of Free Association option, he is. What a great guy. I really want to see much more about say a little bit what he has to say from here to the general elections. It's, it's going to be great. Anyway, let's move now to the um, US side and uh, let's talk about the Democratic race. Let's see how that's turning out. uh, Nevada, South Carolina, um, but first... Valmoria, a fallen empire. A novel written by Carlos Martis Vargas, he's a very good friend of mine, and he did this novel just in 2018 with the help of his family and friends. And you can find this novel in Amazon, whether that be a digital copy or a paperback copy. If you want to reach out to him, you want to lend him a hand, you want to give him your thoughts and support um, this author, you can contact him at cmmartis01 at gmail.com. And his Facebook is www.facebook.com slash cm-a-u-t-o-r-i-n-d. is facebook.com slash c m a u t o r i n d autorind Famoria. A fallen empire. Okay, we are back now. Uh, let's do a rundown on how the primary, uh, the Democratic primary, is uh, it's shaping. So far, we have had results on the Iowa caucuses. So far, we have had the New Hampshire primary, the Nevada caucus, and the South Carolina primary. And now we're moving into Super Tuesday. And we're going to be talking a little, just a tiny bit, about Super Tuesday and what states are going to be competing there. But let's look at how it's been turning out for each of the the primary candidates. So, uh, one of the things you're going to you know you need to know now that is that Pete Buttigieg finally drops out of the race um, after the South Carolina uh, results. Um, uh, Also, um, uh, Tom Steyer. uh, Also, um, you know, was actually was the first. Um, this was the first election, uh, primary election that he participated at. He, he also he also drops from the race uh, after the South Carolina uh, results. So a couple of a couple of drops after the South Carolina, but however we're gonna look at the numbers uh, starting with the Iowa results. The Iowa results um, had Bernie Sanders with twelve delegates, um, Biden with six. Peter Buttigieg, which was the one that actually won that one, um, uh, resulted with 14 delegates, or, or gained 14 delegates from Iowa. Elizabeth Warren had eight, and Amy Klobuchar gained one. Again, those are Iowa results, uh, and the, the caucuses were held on uh, the 3rd of February. Now, if we move to the New Hampshire results, which is the 11th of February, uh, in that one, pretty much... Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg both they were tied out at nine delegates. Joe Biden didn't get any, Elizabeth Warren didn't get any, and Amy Klobuchar won six delegates there. Again, it was Pete Buttigieg was seen as as, as an upcoming candidate that nev- no one really expected to do this well, uh, you know, early in the in the in the primary. He beat bernie sanders in iowa and pretty much he also to me beat out bernie sanders in new hampshire i mean it was a tie that no one expected bernie sanders to be tied out with pete Buttigieg, of you know out of everybody but that's how it resulted so for me it was a win for him obviously now he drops out of the race Anyway, moving forward, uh, Nevada results that uh, the caucus of the, of the state of Nevada, in the 22nd of February, uh, in there Bernie Sanders did very well, he won 24 delegates, uh, while Joseph uh, Biden just won 9, Pete Buttigieg on the other hand won 3 delegates, and I think nobody else won any other delegates. So, uh, Bernie Sanders coming out strong as it was expected from the Nevada caucus. Now, reaching out to the South Carolina, South Carolina results, um, well, pretty much uh, Joe Biden won strongly 39 delegates in South Carolina, while Bernie Sanders came in second with 13 delegates, and pretty much nobody else won any delegates. Um, so. Biden, very strong. I mean, it was expected that Biden was going to show up and was going to win the uh, uh, South Carolina primary. However, we were not, uh, I mean, it, it was debated whether or not he was going to be showing a strong force or whether he was going to be a very weak win uh, against Bernie Sanders. In Whereas if he didn't win by a strong margin, uh, like he actually did, uh, it, it, it would have taken Biden out of the primary completely. Um, So now that he actually won uh, strongly there, he's actually competing against Bernie Sanders. And now we don't know what's going to happen in Super Tuesday because you have the element of surprise, which is pretty much Michael Bloomberg, but we'll get into Michael Bloomberg in a second. But first, let's let's look at how the total number of delegates are are, are basically basically um, uh, are are as of today, right? So Bernie Sanders leads the race with fifty eight delegates. Joseph, Joseph Biden, or Joe Biden, is second with fifty four delegates. Now, Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg would have been third with twenty six, but he dropped out of the race. Elizabeth Warren is following with eight. She should drop out of race. Seriously, I mean she, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar—they should both drop out of race already. It is, it is already known to this point that it is, it is, it is not a race they they're gonna be contending in, and there, there's no chance for them to win this race. So Elizabeth Warren has eight delegates so far, and Amy Klobuchar has 7. Uh, nobody else has had any delegates, but again. The element of surprise now, coming into Super Tuesday, is Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg, which basically participated in two of the uh, most recent uh, Democratic pr- debates, have been skipping Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. He has not been participating in any of these um, elections or caucuses. So he hasn't, he hasn't won any any uh delegates yet so but he's betting his election on the super tuesday so it is an element of surprise but i wonder how he's going to be doing because biden did so well in south carolina that his campaign might be revived his dead campaign the campaign that he was actually saying in one of the town hall meetings that he was running for senate that's how lost he was in his campaign, and I'm not kidding. He actually said that. He encouraged people to send out money, to donate money for his Senate campaign. He he didn't even know where he was standing. That how that's how lost his campaign was. But now, after South Carolina showing, it seems like his campaign is revitalized. Is like is being revived, and we don't know. I mean, Michael Bloomberg for me would have been. Uh, a great um uh, show on uh, or against or a great substitute for a fallen Biden campaign uh if Biden would have shown weakness in South Carolina even you know weakness saying that he won he he would have won but but not by a lot of, but not by a great margin like he did so he would have shown that he was weak his campaign was weak to the point that South Carolina where he was supposed to do real good didn't do good, or as good as intended. So for me Bloomberg would have made a great substitute in the moderate lane and make Joe Biden step down and then it would be probably a race between Bernie Sanders and Michael Bloomberg now put Buttigieg is off the race. But seeing how Biden did so great in South Carolina, I'm not sure how the Michael Bloomberg is effect is gonna turn out i don't know if people are gonna be more inclined to continue voting for biden in the in the in the super tuesday or you're gonna you know forgo biden altogether and go to Blanco bloomberg he has been campaigning very strong i mean he has had he has put a lot of his money into this campaign and again it is it, it is the wild card how Michael Bloomberg is going to do and how is it going to affect Biden at the end of the day. And again, I've been saying this, one of these two candidates has to drop in order if they want to stop Bernie Sanders. If they really want to stop Bernie Sanders, either Biden has to drop and Michael Bloomberg to rise or the other way around. Because you cannot have two center fields playing against the Number one socialist communist left winger, Bernie Sanders. Because obviously Elizabeth Warren cannot um, uh, subtract, cannot take votes from the Bernie Sanders uh, voters. She she has been seeing that she cannot do that. In fact, that's why she only has a... a Delegates that in fact are related to the Iowa caucus, the first caucus, where she was stronger. Remember, Elizabeth Warren was at one point leading the race, at least in the polls. So she got us, she, she, she had a strong show in Iowa, but she hasn't won any delegates ever since. Not in New Hampshire, not in Nevada, not in South Carolina. So she has to drop. She does not. Um, take voter, votes out of Bernie Sanders. So, Bernie Sanders is running the left field all by himself, while Joseph Biden and Michael Bloomberg and Amy Klobuchar are pretty much running the moderate side altogether. And if you learn about history with the Donald Trump campaign, you would know that these people need to start dropping quickly if they really want to stop Bernie Sanders from taking over the party. If they really want communist, socialist Bernie Sanders to not take the Democratic Party into a general election with him as a candidate, they need to stop, to start dropping. So let's talk a little bit about the Super Tuesday event. So Super Tuesday event is the biggest day uh, of Democratic primary campaign. There are 14 states. That are going to be competing in Super Tuesday. And there are about 1,300 delegates at stake. I'm rounding the numbers, but there are about 1,300 delegates at stake. So, so far, less than 4% of the delegates have been allocated to these candidates. So, so far, it's it, it is, we're just starting out. Again, this is why Malcolm Bloomberg, which is the wild card here, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna play a big role. We don't know how this is gonna turn out. Let's look at each of the states that are gonna be, uh, that are gonna be participating in the Super Tuesday event. California, uh, California provides four hundred fifteen delegates at stake. That's how much California provides. Okay, it is the most important Super Tuesday state because of its size. And again, 415 delegates is huge. Texas, another very important state. Uh, Texas can give out 228 delegates. North Carolina, 110 delegates. And in here, obviously, black voters are very important. About a third of the um, electorate in 2016 uh, was African-American in here. So this is a state that actually Joe Biden can do very well. I don't, I don't think Bernie Sanders is going to do very well in North Carolina. So um, again, this is Bernie, this is, this is Biden territory, but I wonder how Michael Bloomberg is going to be doing. Virginia, 99 delegates by Virginia. This is a state, again, that Biden should do good. Again, I don't know about the Michael Bloomberg effect, but Biden should do good. Um, Clinton won this state against Bernie Sanders on the last primary election by thirty points. So again, Virginia, a very strong show should be for Biden, you know, based on past trend, right? But we don't know. Uh, all this could be affected by the blank Michael Bloomberg effect. That's how I'm gonna call it, the Michael Bl- the Bloomberg effect. Massachusetts, ninety-one uh, delegates, and the reason that. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has not dropped is because this is her home state. This is where she's supposed to be doing very good. But well, we'll see again. I think her running is, is a complete disaster but you know she's not gonna f- she's not gonna then st- her campaign um, prior to Super Tuesday. so she's gonna go into Super Tuesday and then after that she's gonna drop out of the campaign because of that she already competed in his homes in her home state so that's gonna be en- that's gonna be it for her and she's gonna be gone. Minnesota 75 delegates. This is uh, another reason why Amy Klobuchar has not dropped. This is the home state of Amy Klobuchar, Minnesota. So, again, she could do well here. Here, he, she could beat Bernie Sanders, but I'm I'm not so sure how for my, for how much. And again, again, it's going to happen. It's going to be Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren, they are both going to drop after the Super Tuesday event. They just want to hold it, and they just want to do good in their home states, and claim that they did good there, and that's going to be it. Is is over for them? Colorado, Colorado uh, provides sixty-seven uh, delegates, and and again, this is a, a, a state that has a lot of uh, Hispanic voters, so we'll see how they do. Tennessee with sixty-four delegates. Uh, another state where um, Biden has is, is said that he could, you know, could do the good. Alabama uh, provides 52 uh, delegates. Oklahoma, 37 delegates. Arkansas, 31 delegates. Utah, 29. Maine, 24. And Vermont provides 16 delegates. And those are all the states that are going to be participating in the uh, Super Tuesday. Um, so we will be having another episode where we'll be discussing a little bit more what happened in Super Tuesday, who remain, um, who, who steals, who remains alive after Super Tuesday, and who eventually drops out of Super Tuesday. Which, in my opinion, again, uh, Klobuchar and Warren have to drop out and will drop out after the Super Tuesday event, leaving most likely Biden, uh, Sanders, and maybe Michael Bloomberg alive. Uh, for the rest of the states which include Florida and Puerto Rico of course and many others Um, so this has been all uh, in this episode I am Ivan Gonzalez and this has been Inside the Colony If you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe and leave a 5 star review also please tell your families your friends and everyone you know about this podcast and tell them to subscribe as well We are available on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and almost everywhere you listen to your own podcasts. And if you want to support this podcast, you can also go to anchor.fm slash ITC slash support. That is anchor.fm slash ITC slash support. You can find a link of this in the description of our channel. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.